right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson in with you here for Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Another day, another opportunity to speak with some KU football coaches, KU football players. Didn't get to speak to the quarterbacks today, but... The closer we get to the season opener, I think the more this competition, who's going to win it, who's going to be the guy continues to ramp up. And more so beyond that, we know over the course of KU football history, things haven't really been too settled at the quarterback position minus a few notes, a few asterisks here or there. Is that going to be the case again here in year one under Lance Leipold? Right now you have a three-quarterback competition, seemingly. I guess it could be a dark horse, but it seems pretty likely it'll be one of Jason Bean, Miles Kendrick, or Jalen Daniels. Is it just a competition that is occurring right now? Is it something that's going to leak into the season? Are we going to see guys benched for poor performance for some of these other guys, is this going to be a, basically a three-way competition for the entire 12-game slate? I think from a importance standpoint, we all know the importance of that, right? If you're having to play three different quarterbacks, that means something has gone wrong. That means either there have been injuries, something with COVID-19, players just aren't performing well enough, and so you're having to get on to different quarterbacks. If the end result is finding the right guy, and having that right guy headed into year two under Lance Leipold, then it doesn't really matter. But the journey along the way to get there would obviously be a much smoother ride, a lot less bumpy if you had that guy the whole way. You were able to identify the right guy from the start, stick with him the whole season, develops, and you made the right choice. Hasn't happened for KU football over the past decade. Ever since Todd Reesing, minus a few brief moments in time. And that is a little bit different than looking at how Lance Leipold and his staff have kind of utilized the quarterback in his time at Buffalo. At KU, you had 2010, Jordan Webb and Quinn Meacham each logged significant steps. So that's two guys. 2012. You saw Dane Christ and Michael Cummings each get a shot. 2013, Jake Heaps and Montel Cozart both split time. 2014, featured Montel Cozart being usurped by Michael Cummings. So two guys again. Uh, Cummings got injured in the spring game, which in 2015 meant you had Ryan Willis, Montel Cozart split time, and even DeAndre Ford got a start in there. 2016 was another trio of split time between Montel Cozart, Carter Stanley, and Ryan Willis. 2017, you gave time to Peyton Bender and Carter Stanley. 2018, it was another round of Peyton Bender and Carter Stanley split with a little bit tossed into Miles Kendrick. 
2020. You saw Thomas McVitie start the season. He also played the least, and Miles Kendrick and Jalen Daniels split the most of the time. So pretty much every year I just mentioned, you had two or three quarterbacks getting some version of significant snaps in game time. Now, that leaves two years where that wasn't the case. 2011, you had Jordan Webb basically be as the the guy the whole way through. 2019, you had that with Carter Stanley. And that's really the only two seasons you stuck it out with one guy. Obviously, some of that is going to be on the players themselves for not performing well enough. Maybe some of it on the coaches. You have the situation like David Beatty where Carter Stanley plays well against Oklahoma State and he turns it into a negative by saying, oh, I'm not going to fall for that one about how the quarterbacks are playing and he doesn't want to commit to him moving forward. So some of it could be on the coaches. Some could be on other circumstances like the offensive line or injuries or sicknesses. I think that's the reason like DeAndre Ford got a start. I think Ryan Willis or Montel Cozart was like sick or something. But as we all know, the QB position at Kansas since Todd Reesing has been a beacon of instability. It has not only flashed poor statistical marks, poor numbers, poor total QBR, especially compared to the country, especially compared to the rest of the Big 12, but you haven't even been able to settle it amongst yourself. And then on the rare occasions that it has been settled, i.e. Carter Stanley, he had to redo it all over again the next offseason because he happened to be in his last year. And the last time KU had a settled starting quarterback headed into the next year that didn't have to win the job in camp, who would that have even been? It's not that QBs haven't had to win their job in camp in the past under Lance Leipold when he's been at Buffalo, and I don't have the, you know, as much depth of information to go back and look at his time at, at Mount Union, but specifically when he was at Buffalo, which that still gives you a six-season resume to look into. One thing that is immensely different with Leipold compared to what's happened at KU over the last decade has been the consistent and continuous approach that Leipold's and his staff members as well have had in sticking with one guy at the QB spot. The guy that they identified as being the best guy in camp, sticking with him the whole way through and seeing it out, minus a couple of exceptions, which haven't been play-related. They've been related to injury. Lance Leipold took over his first year in Buffalo was 2015. Quarterback was Joe Licata. He threw 449 passes. Rest of the team through six combined. That's all garbage time stats. Licata was the guy the whole way through. And Joe Licata was not a dynamic quarterback. Joe Licata in 2015 finished with 16 touchdowns to 15 interceptions. Staff said, no, we're sticking with him. 2016, Tyree Jackson. He did have a little bit of separation with passes to some other guys, but more on that in a second. He still threw the majority of the passes, 311. Rohawk threw 84. The rest of the team had two. Tyree Jackson struggled a little bit. Nine touchdowns and nine interceptions. 
But the reason he gave up those passing opportunities to the other quarterback weren't because of the struggles. It was because he had leg injuries he had to deal with in 2016 that caused him to miss some time. And because that, another quarterback got some playing time. But if not for the leg injuries, even though Tyree Jackson was struggling a bit, again, just nine touchdowns and nine interceptions, he was getting all the time minus the injuries. 2017, Tyree Jackson gained some of that valuable experience, even though he didn't have the best season, has a better year, 12 touchdowns and three interceptions. He had a couple other quarterbacks, Anderson and Van Treese, who both threw a good amount of passes in 2017. But again, the reason why wasn't a performance thing. Tyree Jackson battled knee injuries. He missed four games that season. So 2015, you stuck with one guy, even though it was 16 touchdowns and 15 picks. 2016, you were sticking with one guy, even though it was nine touchdowns and nine picks, but then he had leg injuries, which caused you to not stick with him. 2017, you were sticking with one guy, but then you missed four games due to knee injuries. Outside of the injuries, you've stuck with one guy this whole way through. 2018, Tyree Jackson had his best year, ends up going pro after this. He had 28 touchdowns, 12 picks. As you'd imagine, he was the guy the whole way through. 407 passes for him, 12 passes for the rest of the team. 2019, now Tyree Jackson's gone. Kyle Van Treese takes over. Kyle Van Treese wasn't actually the day one starter, though. He ended up throwing 172 passes. The other quarterback, Myers, threw 105. But, again, going back to what happened in 2016-17, the only reason he had multiple quarterbacks was because of injury. Now, maybe eventually performance, you would have gone to Kyle Van Trees because he played well. Ended up with eight touchdowns and two interceptions that year. And maybe he would have eventually won the job in season. But the reason that he took over to begin with Myers played the first few games and then had a season-ending injury. And Van Treese took over the final eight games. You might look at 2019 and say, no, they played two quarterbacks. Again, it wasn't playing two quarterbacks. It was one guy got hurt, so now the other guy took over. And then 2020, because of how Van Treese performed in 2019, Van Treese was the guy the whole way through. 154 passes for him, just three for the rest of the team. So again, if you go through 2015 to 2020, that's six seasons of data to look at for Lance Leipold. Every single year, they have identified that one guy at the end of fall camp and said, you are the guy. Now, some years might have been easier. You have an incumbent quarterback like Tyree Jackson coming back for his third year or Kyle Van Trees coming back for another year. It's easier to diagnose that, hey, he's just going to be our starter. But every year, the guy they have gone with, they have stuck with him, even through performance where maybe it is up and down. Lakata had 16 touchdowns to 15 interceptions. Jackson had nine touchdowns to nine interceptions. And the only reason players have lost that starting QB role seems to be because of injury. So I think even though we're not used to seeing KU settle on one guy at quarterback, and even though this does seem like a heavily contested race between three guys, whoever does emerge victorious in that three-team race, they are going to get a pretty big leash. I'm not going to say that, yeah, it's going to be the the guy the whole season long like it was with some of Leipold's guys at Buffalo, unless there's injury, but he's going to get a sizable leash. This isn't just going to be, hey, start two games, now we're going to somebody else. And I think it also makes the question of who the day one starter is going to be, I think it makes it even more important. It makes it even more prevalent in this discussion because – That means whoever he goes with in day one, the track record has shown 
not only is he going to have that big leash, but odds would show you that barring an injury, he's going to be the guy for the rest of the season. Now, this is an interesting debate, too, and, and we're not going to know the starting quarterback till I would imagine, the week of the first game. Heck, we might not know it till game day. Um, but we have heard some of the different coaches talk about what they specifically want in the quarterback position. Taking care of the football has been a key term. You know, running the offense, getting people into the right play. And honestly, the way that the coaches have described what they want from the position, if I was just like, you know, gun to my head right now, I have to predict who the quarterback's going to be. I feel like I would lean personally. Uh, some people might tell you different. I would lean Miles Kendrick. Perfect example. So we had John Kirby, Jayhawk Slant, rivals on with us earlier this week. And this was him talking about what the staff is wanting from the quarterback position. There was two things that stood out to me. Number one, they brought three quarterbacks to interview, right? Okay. So those are your three guys, okay, that they brought to us that we all had a chance to talk to. The other thing that I keep going back to is Kotelnicki and Leipold have flat out said, and they are 100% serious about this, this comes down to ball protection. Okay, this comes down to Kotal Nicky said, anytime you're at the line of scrimmage in their offense, that's a good thing. And what he meant by that was if it's second and 10 and you're throwing a ball into a tight window, hey, throw the thing out of bounds. Okay, throw it 50 yards out of bounds. Let's go huddle. Let's go back and play a third down. Let's not try to do something that we don't want to do because Kansas is going to have to run the clock this year. They're going to huddle. They're going to run the clock down. They're going to try to play some ball control, some small ball offense. They are going to try to do those things. The quarterback, in my opinion, that makes the least amount of mistakes and takes care of the ball in ball camp is going to be your starter. That doesn't mean it's not going to, you know, the fastest quarterback may not be the guy. The guy who can throw the ball 70 yards in the air and, and run four five five may not be the guy. And, and I'm not characterizing, I'm not putting anybody in those groups. I'm just saying that if there's a guy that has a bunch of talent and a bunch of upside, but he's not as steady as the guy down here who's doing all the little things, but maybe doesn't have the upside as the quarterback, I, think they'll, I really think they'll be safe and go with the guy who gives them the safe chance. And you can interpret that how you want. Now, if you're looking just at, like, turnovers specifically, it's kind of hard to gauge um, between Miles Kendrick and Jalen Daniels. Like, both guys were around similar turnover numbers. I think Jalen had some more issues fumbling the football, but Kendrick threw one more interception and less passes than Jalen Daniels had. I just, when I think of the way he described it as going with, like, the safe pick, going with the guy who... Maybe they can get some of those short passes. Maybe they can worry about some of the getting in the right play. It seems to me like the veteran would have the opportunity there. Now, certainly, if I were to peg the favorites, yeah, Miles Kendrick and Jalen Daniels, to me, seem slightly ahead of Jason Bean. Again, who knows? But the way that's been described, I don't know. I, I view that as kind of being good for Miles Kendrick. We also had Jesse Newell on the show of the Kansas City Star yesterday and asked him about the quarterback. And it sounds like he's kind of on that same boat as I am in regards to Kendrick possibly being the week one starter. There's so much to know, so much to learn with the new offense, and they're trying to cram it all in in three or four weeks. 
you know, just hearing from people and about how Miles Kendrick was one of the workout warriors over the over the summer, how he led player led practices and kind of was a leader in that regard, how he studies film, how he knows things. Um, yeah, listen, everybody's seen Miles Kendrick play, and then there are obvious physical limitations that he's shown so far. Um, you know, running wise, throwing wise, all those sorts of things at Kansas. But I'm sort of at the point where I, I think he has to be considered one of the leaders right now for this job, especially against South Dakota, which is the most, most important game of the season, because if you're looking at the coach's standpoint, if you call a play, you want the play run. <laughs> you know, if you're calling a certain pass play, you want the guy to throw it on the right route and not just throw a pick six and lose the game for you before you even start it. And right now it seems to me from all that people have talked about, it, it, that guy so far has been Miles Kendrick. And so we'll see. We'll see if Jalen Daniels, amazing talent, amazing arm, you know, had some, some, running ability, too, and Jason Bean has started some games in North Texas, came in over the summer. Maybe they can replace him. Maybe they can leap over him, and uh, maybe I'm putting too much of that for right now, but uh, all those things are things that have to go go in mind of these coaches right now, especially in such an important game on September 3rd, and so um, that's a reason, again, I know how the fan base will react to that if Miles Kendrick is the game one starter, because they've seen him play before, and they've seen him be you know, disappointing for the most part in game sequences, but I'm here to tell you, if you're out there and you're trying to run the offense and you just want the thing run correctly, Miles Kendrick might be the guy, and he might be the guy in that first game against South Dakota. And I said this yesterday with Jesse, but also if Miles Kendrick does end up being the guy, I don't necessarily think that's you know an indictment on the quarterback position given what we've seen because we know guys like Montel Cozart and Ryan Willis have gone to other coaching staffs, other teams with better situations around them and done well, had seasons that you would have gladly taken at KU. So maybe just by there being the new staff in place that's going to handle it better, maybe that's enough to get out of Miles Kendrick what you need, especially in a senior season for him. And I also agreed with Jesse in regards to, you know, it not necessarily being the long-term play, even if he's the week one starter. But again, after looking into those six seasons that we have to look at for Buffalo with Lance Leipold and his staff's commitment to one guy, barring injury, even in years where they had as many interceptions as touchdowns. I kind of think whoever does end up having the early edge for week one, whether it is Miles Kendrick or if it is somebody else, that guy to me is going to be the guy who has the edge throughout the season, barring injury or COVID mishap. And both are obviously huge possibilities, but everything we know in looking at Leipold's QB usage at Buffalo, Tim being loyal, him bringing over all these staff members, which obviously shows loyalty and sticking with guys and having that key word of continuity. All of that to me says that whoever does get the start against South Dakota is the favorite to not just start that game, but to start every game the rest of the way, barring injury. And to be honest, I'm almost like I asked Jesse yesterday, what's, I don't know, over under two and a half starters for KU football this season. Given all this knowledge about Lance Leipold, I think I might actually change the over-under there to one and a half starting QBs for KU football this season. Call me crazy because this is KU football and that just hasn't happened, but it has for Lance Leipold. FM 1017 1320 KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Scott Jason, 24-7 Sports, Fog.net, joins us in about 10 minutes. 
There's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. You know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car. And don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash, they are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh man, where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them, unlimited guest service and most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. Joined now, as we are every Thursday, here by Scott Chasen of 24-7 Sports and Fog.net. Scott, just based on everything that we've heard from the coaches, from the players, whether you want to read between lines or whether you just think, uh, you know, one guy maybe could be standing above the rest. If you had to guess right now who the starting quarterback is going to be, what would be your gun-to-your-head answer? Well, I think the answer you would almost have to go with right now would be Jalen Daniels. And the reason why is it's probably a compromise answer uh, of the three, right? We all know what they each do well, and I wrote about this actually today, uh, just why Lance Leipold isn't in a hurry to name his starter, because uh, a lot of the information Kansas has now is the same information Kansas came in with. Okay, Miles Kendrick is the most veteran of the, the three quarterbacks. He's probably going to pick up the offense uh, the quickest. He's a guy that, that people know how to work with. He's a good leader, uh, but he has his physical limitations. Jason Bean, on the other hand, is an exceptional athlete. Uh, I have not heard one time anyone compliment his accuracy, his ability to pick up the playbook, and that's not saying he's bad at those things, but just to say that people haven't, that the coaches, other players haven't found it really noteworthy to, to make those comments. Jalen Daniels gives you the upside of a younger player. He's got the big arm. He's got some physical tools. But, you know, at the same time, too, he has to show a lot of improvement from basically, you know, his 17-year-old freshman season. I know he turned 18 during the season. Uh, But so I think when you kind of put in that combination, uh, Jalen Daniels, to me, is the one that would make the most sense. But to be honest, I wouldn't be shocked to see Miles Kendrick roll out there week one. I think what, you know, from everything we've seen, uh, or everything we've heard so far, it really sounds like the staff appreciates his contributions to the program, not only in the weight room, but as an off-field leader. And, you know, I, I don't think dark horse is the right word because I think there are three candidates. And I think if you wanted to put odds on them, I'm not sure anyone has greater than a 40% chance or a 45% chance uh, of winning the battle at this point. But, you know, I, I wouldn't discount Miles Kendrick's chances of winning the competition. That being said, I do think at some point you have to go with more of the upside, which would probably lead you to Jalen Daniels at this point. Hmm. Well, I have a new segment called Reading Between the Lines that I just invented right now. Jalen Daniels tweeted 
You live and learn. It's all about how you keep going about it. Hmm, thoughts? Sounds like he's lit. <laughs> Sounds like he's learned. <laughs> Sounds like he's gone about it. And now he's going to keep going about it. So uh, that, that would be my thoughts on this very new, exciting segment. I hope we bring this one back time and time again. <laughs> it is very informational segment there. Uh, we're talking with Scott Chasen, 24-7 sports, fog.net. Okay, if I, if I asked you to come up with what the over-under should be for how many quarterbacks start a game this season for KU, where would you place that number? You know, it's an impossible number to, to place because the answer is almost certainly going to be two, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's very easy to see two. It's very hard to see one. So you can't really place the over-under at two because if you do, everyone in their right mind would take the over, knowing that it's very, very, very unlikely that it will just be one. So I think what you would probably have to do is make the over-under two and a half, but make the odds of going you know, over a, a much better payout than the odds of going under, which would probably be not much value. But, you know, it, it, a lot of years I would say it's shaped up to where maybe one guy emerges or maybe one guy doesn't, but it just seems like there's some indecision. That was kind of the David Beatty mark of things. Last year it was hard to get a read on anything because of injuries, because of uh, just the, the sort of not even up and down play, but mostly down play of the roster. Um, you know, I, I get the sense Lance Leipold and company, you know, ideally would like to stick with one guy and go with him. But, you know, if that guy's getting beat up and getting hit over and over or, you know, something with COVID happens or, you know, there are any number of things that could cause them to change their mind. Maybe the offense, maybe everything clicks for Jason Bean, you know, halfway through the year and they're ready to give him a try, um, you know, with the team struggling. Uh, to me, you've got to expect more and more names to, to sort of be involved. I guess the three um, that are perceived to be in the running. And, you know, yeah, so um, hard to set an over-under, but I, I don't think it's realistic at this point to expect that Kansas will have one starting quarterback uh, for the entire season. And that's based off, you know, just hearing during camp so far that it really does sound like each of them bring things they do well and each of them have things they need to work on. I, I don't know if you've picked up on this, um, just kind of talking with some of the players and coaches, or if this is something that just typically happens, but I feel like every time we do talk to the players and coaches and ask about players who are maybe standing out, I feel like the answer every time is something along the lines of like, oh, everybody is, all the players are. Do you think that's kind of the perfect symbol of the staff passing down things to just make sure this is a team atmosphere? of the game and and maybe some of these other themes that we've heard and seen so far in camp? You know, in my experience, to me, how players answer those kind of questions is more of a reflection on two things. I think one, the type of, of, image a player is trying to convey. I think a lot of times, especially with quarterbacks, they want to be a team guy. So they don't want to tip, you know, their hand, even if they think one is ahead of the other. Uh, And then I think the other side of it is confidence. You know, I think sometimes if you're an established veteran on a team, like a Kyron Johnson, for example, he's not going to shy away from giving you specific detail about, you know, maybe a a singular player who's performing really well, Malcolm Lee. Uh, That was another guy we just spoke to fairly recently who kind of same way. If you asked him about certain people, he'd give you, you know, those kind of specifics. Whereas when you talk to younger guys on the team, uh, you know, more often than not, they're going to say everybody because they don't want to ruffle any feathers or they don't want to speak out of turn. And I think that's kind of an indication of the makeup of how young this team is. Like, yeah, I think there are eight super seniors on the roster and there are a, a decent group of veterans. But, you know, there are 45 players on this roster, scholarship players. 
that are, you know, first or second year guys and counting the COVID year, you know, there are a huge number of guys who have basically four years of eligibility uh, remaining. So, you know, I, I think it's probably more from that perspective, but, you know, Lance Leipold is, to me, a very intentional coach um, about more, you know, we, we talk about the details and the things he cares about, but I think it goes beyond that. Uh, and I think part of the reason why the guys who have been, you know, speaking to media are chosen as those guys, you know, it's a lot of established returning players the team. Uh, very seldom, you know, do you talk to newcomers who weren't, you know, Mike Nowitzki is kind of a unique example because he comes in with a, a great pedigree and, and people know how he could be at center. But, you know, today was the defensive backs day, so to speak, and Deuce Mayberry spoke. Uh, it wasn't Jacoby Bryant who spoke. He was, you know, a freshman, although he was obviously on campus in the spring. Uh, it wasn't Jeremy Webb, a transfer into the program, who spoke. You know, I, I think it's very intentional about who they choose to speak. Same thing with the defensive line. It was Kyron Johnson and Malcolm Lee. It wasn't, you know, Zion DeBose who came out and spoke to media. It wasn't, you know, some of those Buffalo transfers who came out and spoke. So uh, I think it's all part of the atmosphere. I think it's part of the Lance Leipold equation. But that specific thing about players saying, you know, everyone is standing out, I think that more probably speaks to the younger roster and guys not wanting to ruffle any feathers. Talking with Scott Chasen here, 24-7 sportsfog.net. Whether it's just from speculation of what you think it could look like or from what we've heard so far in speaking with these different players and coaches, is there a position group so far that you're most impressed with what it could possibly be for KU this year? Yeah, you know, I, I listened to Jesse answer this question, um, and I thought it was really funny that he mentioned the offensive line because, you know, like, it, it, that would almost be where my mind goes if you asked in terms of, like, improvement or guys that you maybe think that Kansas can trust because they bring in, you know, uh, really three transfers you'd expect to be impact transfers. And then I think they either retained two or three, maybe three offensive line super seniors. So that should be an incredibly veteran group and a group with guys Lance Leifel can trust. But obviously there's such a long way to go in that unit that it would be hard to pick them. Um, running back is the easy answer. I feel like running back is always the easy answer. Every year it's easy for every team in America to have good running backs. Um, in this case, Kansas has recruited pretty well to actually have a couple uh, or maybe even a few like special running backs relative to what Kansas would normally have. So I think that's probably, you know, the easiest answer. But, you know, one unit I'm really interested to see is the interior defensive line, not just the defensive line as, at the, as a whole, but the actual interior of it. Because uh, between, you know, Ron McGee, uh, uh, Eddie Wilson, Sam Burt, uh, I think Caleb Sampson, like there are a number of names of guys that you would expect – any kind of one of them could actually, you know, win the position. And that's even without Dejon Terry, who obviously just left the program this offseason. To me, that's a unit with only, you know, obviously two spots to fill, um, that you'll have good depth if you're Kansas. You'll have uh, the ability to cycle guys in and out, and, and you'll be able to make that decision and choose, you know, who do I want to play there as compared to, um, you know, geez, this guy, you know, he's made a few mistakes, but, you know, there's no option. You can't really take him out. So I think interior defensive line should be pretty solid, actually running back. I think the O-line will be much, much, much improved. And then obviously the safeties, you have some veterans there and you have guys the team is pretty excited about. And a freshman uh, in Jason Gilliam, O.J. Burroughs, another one that I think uh, they're pretty excited about too. What about on the flip side of that? Is there a position group that you might have the most questions about right now? 
Yeah, I think it has to start with cornerback. And, you know, that's with the departure of, uh, obviously, Karan Prunty, who's obviously in the portal. But Kansas, Bring him back. Uh, again, <laughs> I know, uh, I would put the odds of that at very low. But <laughs> it is crazy to think about that he was the starter at South Carolina. It took him like a week to be South Carolina's starting cornerback. Um, so there are no questions about, obviously, the talent level there. And it doesn't sound like that second transfer decision has anything to do with football anyway. But, um, you know, Kansas didn't just lose Karan Prunty. Kansas lost Elijah Jones, who went to Oregon State. That's another Power 5 program. Uh, Kansas lost Kyle Mayberry, Deuce's brother, who, you know, Utah State isn't exactly the best football school in the world. But, you know, he's still transferring to a legitimate program. So those are two veterans and your best talent corner uh, who left the program. And that makes it really hard to kind of fill in with new pieces. You know, talking to Chevis Jackson today, um, I would say he was withholding in terms of uh, standouts or individual information from the group. It didn't sound like he really wanted to talk up uh, anybody too much, but I think you'd have to expect Jacoby Bryant to get in the mix. I think Jeremy Webb, uh, if all things go well, he's a guy with experience and size who could help out at corner. Uh, you know, Deuce Mayberry has a year of experience, and Romello Dotson uh, is a name that we've heard a lot, uh, you know, throughout just covering camp as well. So I think that's probably the core group. But, man, that is a thin position. That is an extremely inexperienced position. And, you know, quite frankly, I'm not sure we've ever seen any of those guys I just mentioned in a real game, play at a level that you would say, oh, that's a legitimate Big 12 number one or number two corner. All of those guys have to prove it. Uh, they all have to go out and show that they're good enough to play at that level because uh, there's so much inexperience there. And, and wide receiver to me is the other one that's very similar. Um, you know, I think you think Kwame Lasseter is a very good returning receiver. You, you probably know that given what he did, um, you know, the last year. But, you know, it's a lot of guesswork with L.J. Arnold, Stephen McBride, Luke Grimm. You know, Luke Grimm was completely erased in the spring game by Karan Prunty. Uh, is he going to be able to get open if he's that second or third wideout, if he's able to win a job? Um, you know, Trevor Wilson, the incoming transfer, is he going to be able to get on the field? There are just so many questions at wide receiver and corner. Those are probably the two areas I look at and say, um, you don't feel great about, and that doesn't even obviously get to the quarterback, which, you know, quite frankly, is going to have questions every year at Kansas until it doesn't. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, too, because Lance Leipold has mentioned this a couple times in speaking with the media, the idea of he's, he's kind of hesitant to say that, you know, if somebody does well in these kind of scrimmage opportunities or drills where you're going against your own team, like, does that mean this guy's really good, or does that mean we have to worry about the the guy guarding him or the guy going up against him on the other end? Like, which of those is it? And I think that's kind of interesting with those two position groups because you mentioned the receivers and corners obviously go up against each other in practice. So KU won't really know what they have there until probably a couple games into the season because even if some of the receivers do well or even if some of the corners do well, it is that question of, well, are you really good, or is it just the competition you're going up against? Yeah, well, and I think from that perspective, too, with Lance Leipold, one, it speaks to the kind of guy he is, that he's so worried about the little details that he doesn't even enjoy success because he knows <laughs> success comes at the expense of someone else. Uh, but I think the second part of that is it just goes to, to show you how much of the evaluation process 
is going to move forward into this fall. You know, as much as Kansas would like to know what it has on the roster, and, and as much as there are you know a pretty good group of guys, there is a pretty good group of guys that you probably feel if you've watched this team, certainly if you've covered this team, if you coach on this team, that you have a good read on. There are a lot of young players and a lot of new players and they need a barometer to know, you know, okay, Deldrick Withers, for example, hey, this guy's doing really well in practice against the second-team offensive line. Okay, how good is the second-team offensive line? How good is the first team? How good is the, you know, first-team defensive line? They won't know this until it gets into game action. And so, you know, Derek, we shared a conversation off air earlier today just talking about win totals and, you know, something we've discussed on the show, uh, realistic ex- expectations for KU. And that's why, to me, there are parts of it that are really hard to nail down because whatever the KU staff thinks it has now, and for the record, you know, they may be feeling pretty good about a number of different positions. There's still that kind of, uh, it's not quite ambiguity, but it's just this, this unknown of what happens when you take the field for the first game of the season. And now for the first time, like, it's go time. You're actually playing another team that's trying to beat you that, you know, thinks it can come to Lawrence and get a win, even if it's not an F- FBS team or a Power 5 team. And I think that's where things get really interesting. Um, and, and it may not even, you know, come out, you know, I guess it, it may stay behind the scenes, those kinds of evaluations. But I think you're going to really start to notice what the KU staff thinks of this team based off where offers start going out, particularly JUCO offers and transfer you know, offers, and maybe that goes through the season after the season. But I think that's when you're really going to start to know uh, what Lance Leipold and that staff think of this team based off what they prioritize moving forward. You know, for all we know, they'll take two transfer quarterbacks this next offseason. You know, they won't like the options on the roster. Or conversely, maybe they don't take any. Maybe they don't think they need a quarterback. Maybe they like the young ones and they like the guys they have on the roster. It's just so much that we're going to learn really as the season goes and then really even into the offseason. Talking with Scott Chasen for a few more minutes here, I, I figure we should probably touch on KU landing a five-star in basketball. That seems to be uh, pretty big news. Well, what kind of player is KU getting in MJ Rice? Well, I think it's getting one that has the potential because we're, you know, it's always a lot of projection uh, that has the potential to be a pretty complete offensive force. You know, someone on, on our board asked if, you know, he's comparable to MJ Rice, comparable to a guy like Wayne Selden. And I would say no, based off what Wayne Selden was perceived to be coming into college, but maybe a little bit more similar based off what, you know, he actually ended up being, which was not necessarily a bad player. He just maybe one that took a little bit of time to get into the flow of things and develop, and then also came in with a very, very young team. You know, uh, off the court, I I think this is a big deal, and I know some people uh, will downplay, including your former uh, host of the show, um, what it means to get, you know, a a five-star recruit in Lawrence, or what it means uh, to get a a potential McDonald's All-American or or a guy like this. This is Kansas's highest-ranked recruit since uh, Quentin Grimes in 2018, and that doesn't sound like a long time ago, but four recruiting classes for Kansas is a very, very long time to not land a top 20 player because that's what this guy is. He's on the fringe of the top 20, which is a five, you know, five-star range. He's the second five-star they've landed since Grimes. 
Um, and Bryce Thompson, whose dad obviously played for Bill Self, that was kind of a built-in recruiting advantage. So I actually do think this is a pretty big deal. Um, I don't think the recruitment is over. I definitely think professional options, the G League, I think that will continue to be a thing probably up until the day he gets on campus. But um, I, I think it's a big deal for the program potentially on the court with how much KU could be losing, especially after this season. Uh, if the year goes the way they want, David McCormick will be gone. Ochai will be gone. Jalen will be gone. Remy Martin will be gone. Jalen Coleman-Lands will be gone. Mitch Lightfoot will be gone. You know, you can run down the list. So they'll have a lot of minutes to fill in. That's if it goes the way they want. Some of those guys obviously can return. Um, And then in recruiting, you always need to rebuild your ranks. You need to build some momentum. And right now, Kansas is 2022 class, ranked number two in the nation behind Ohio State. Uh, That's shaping up to be a very, very good class. Is there still a chance that he does wind up going pro I mean how how much of a possibility is that I remember you know Isaiah Todd I think picked Michigan over KU and then ended up going to the G League Ignite a little bit down the road uh so I guess how possible is that for a guy like MJ Rice I think it is possible probably more than most because he's at least acknowledged the possibility and something I'm learning very quickly covering this is guys who acknowledge the possibility of going pro not always but are really likely, I would say, to go pro. So, uh, you know, I think it's a different case for everyone. And obviously, when you have the opportunity to come into Kansas, especially if a bunch of guys, you know, Ochai and Jalen and all these wings are departing, um, then, yeah, maybe you look at that and say, I would love to have the chance to get to Kansas and, and you know, be on a national championship contender, maybe NIL, like you've talked about on the show. Uh, maybe that ends up helping. But, you know, at the same time, it's, it's one of those things that won't really be settled until it is. And, you know, I think a perfect kind of illustrator of that is a guy like Remy Martin. When Remy Martin wanted to go pro or after the season, like that was the focus to go pro. And then the feedback didn't come in the way that Remy Martin wanted. And some options became available. Kansas became available. And he gave a few interviews where he talked about, you know, like I'm almost hoping to go to college, you know. But, but to me, and at least my read on the situation and talking to people in the know, you know, it, it did seem like his first focus initially was, I want to go pro if I can. And I think that's the decision that's being made for a lot of guys. That's not saying specifically on MJ Rice. That's just, you know, speaking generally about the state of college basketball. It's, I want to go pro if that opportunity is available. And obviously, there are a million reasons why. You get paid right away. Um, some of these kids are making huge amounts of money. You know, you only get you only have to focus on basketball. You can, you know, you can still be a very, very, very high draft pick. We obviously saw that with the G League night program this time around, a couple of top 10 guys. So uh, I think it's still a very, very beneficial option. I think college is still a very, very good option. And it's hard to turn down the Kansas pitch, um, especially with NIL and all of that. But you know, I think it'll be something that is a is a storyline and is something that's probably thought about at least for a, a couple more months here. He is Scott Chasen. You can check out all his work at fog.net through 24-7 Sports. Scott, thank you so much for the time as always, man. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Scott Chasen of 24-7 Sports and fog.net right here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320, KLWN, depending on it. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk coming up. In about 40 minutes from right now, we'll talk with Jeremy Clark of Horn Frog Blitz, 24-7 Sports, and we'll preview the TCU Horn Frogs. That's the last opponent we got to get to on our team previews for KU opponents this year. Next week, we'll do 
our, or at least start doing our KU football positional previews. So that'll be exciting. Get to uh, the quarterback. Maybe we'll leave that one for last. So hopefully we have more data to try to figure out who the guy is going to be. But right now, let's figure out what number one is on a list of the top 10 nuts. Number 10. Number 10 on the top 10 nuts, macadamia nuts. These, uh, I've only had like in Hawaii or coming from Hawaii. And this is going to sound really stupid. And I'm going to use this for some of the other nuts on here. Covered in chocolate, macadamia nuts are delicious. But macadamia nuts on their own, not a huge fan of them. But they're okay. So in a number 10. Number nine. The ninth best nut, pistachios. Take a little bit of work to get to a pistachio. It's, you know, kind of like a peanut, although I should probably make this mention now. Peanuts are not on this list, guys. Peanuts are not a nut. That might be controversial, but they are a legume. Not a nut, a legume. Peanuts do not qualify. Uh, Pistachios, though, are kind of like the peanut in that you have to, you know, rip them apart, and it's kind of a bit of a chore to eat them every time. But they're pretty good. I'm not a huge pistachio fan. Some people, pistachios are, like, you're a pistachio diehard, pretty much. Like, if you if you like pistachios, you don't just like pistachios. You are a diehard. You'll eat pistachio ice cream. You'll eat pistachios plain. So pistachios in at number nine. Number eight. That might be the coolest sounding nut, though. Number eight, going nuts. You know, there can be a negative version of going nuts. Like, if you get two nuts... You know, you're going to be bouncing off the wall. You might be breaking stuff. You might be a little too extra. You might need to calm down. But sometimes going nuts is a good thing, right? Like if you're playing football, you're a linebacker, go nuts, man. Go knock the head off of that running back, right? Um, You know, go nuts at a party, but like in a good way, in a safe way, in a responsible way. So going nuts in at number eight. Number seven. Seventh best nut. D's. I'll leave it at that. Number five. Fifth best nut, pine nuts. I don't know if I've ever eaten like pine nuts on their own, but pine nuts are, I believe, a key ingredient in making pesto. That gets it in the top five alone. Honestly, I might have this too low. But pine nuts, a key ingredient in pesto, one of the best pasta sauces. Maybe that should be another top 10 list we do down the road here. I don't really know what else to use them for. Every so often, maybe sprinkled on, you know, some type of food that I'm eating. But they're not negative. And again, the pesto on its own gets it into the top five there. Number four. Fourth best nut is the cashew. The cashew is a cool looking nut. So it has that going for it as well. It's kind of a, like I've heard it described before as like a creamier tasting nut, which is an interesting way to describe a nut to begin with. But it kind of is the proper way to do it. When you're eating it, it almost kind of melts a little bit. Cashews are good. I like cashews. Um, You can, you know, uh, along with any of these nuts, they're going to be better if you put them in something, right? Like in some of these cases, I mentioned the chocolate covered macadamia nuts. Or you could have um, like a spicy dressing or not dressing, but uh, seasoning on top of the nut. Or you could have salted or whatever. 
to make it a little bit better. But cashews are pretty good, and they're actually pretty healthy for you, which is why they're in at the number four spot for Top 10 Nuts. Number three. Number three. Pecans or pecans, depending on where you're from. Although I don't think I've ever actually heard somebody say pecan, except for like TV shows where they're kind of like making like a pecan sandy or I don't know, like a pecan pie. No, I, I don't think I've ever heard somebody actually say that, but apparently that is something that can be said both ways. Same thing like caramel and caramel, but how many people call it caramel unless you're British? I don't know. Uh, pecans not great on their own i'll be completely honest they're a bit of a dry nut why are they so high you ask well because i'm biased and my favorite pie is pecan pie it is delicious it's filled with sugar it's so terrible for you but it's wonderful i will uh stand on the soapbox now pecan pie is a better pie than pumpkin pie for your thanksgiving day it's better it just is tastes better and I guess, hey, healthier for you. I don't know if that's actually true, but there's pecans in it. So that's a good thing. Number two. Second best nut. This is arguably the healthiest of all nuts. That would be almonds. Almonds are another nut that can be pretty versatile in a lot of different ways. You can have chocolate-covered almonds. You can just eat almonds plain. You can have salted almonds. You can use almonds in other form of cooking. I... I mean, how many dishes could you have that have almonds or that have like almond flavor? The wedding cake I had was like an almond flavored cake. It was delicious. And like I said, arguably the healthiest of all the nuts. So almonds, versatile, good for you. Can be used in different ways, taste good as well on their own. They're in at number two, but they couldn't beat the number one thing on this list. Number one. That is because the top nut. Nuts and bolts. I mean, come on. We we live in houses. We go to work in buildings and big structures. We drive cars that have nuts and bolts in them. Where would we be as a society without nuts and bolts? I like eating some of these different nuts and they can add to different dishes but if i really had to i don't have to eat all those nuts right but nuts and bolts we can't live without they make up everything we use in our society so nuts and bolts are the number one nut once again peanuts do not apply they're legumes not nuts this is rock jock sports talk i'm Derek johnson on fm 1017 1320 klwn let's Coming up next. Our KU football season previews coming to a close. This is our final one, TCU, the final opponent for us to get to. It's not the final game. That would be West Virginia, but this is the penultimate game for KU on the season. We know that in years past, KU has played TCU for some reason really close. That is until the last two years when the Horn Frogs have just pasted the Jayhawks. We're joined now by Jeremy Clark, who runs Horn Frog Blitz and 24-7 Sports, similar to Scott Chasen with Fog.net for the KU site that we had on earlier today. Jeremy, it usually feels like 
Gary Patterson, every time he has like maybe more of a down year, quote unquote, with the six, seven wins, that all of a sudden the next year you're going to win nine, ten games. Last year, the shortened season, who knows? Maybe it gets to eight and four with the non conference slate and nine games uh, with a bowl game or so to speak. Um, but does it feel like one of those seasons coming around the program this year that there could be one of those big breakout years for the team? Yeah, it really reminds me of kind of 2017. I don't think a lot of people really expecting TCU to be a very good team. You're coming off a 6-6 a six and six year they had in 2016, and all of a sudden in 2017 they rattle off 11 wins. They go to the Big 12 championship game. And this kind of reminds me a lot of that team. They've got a lot of experience coming back, uh, especially up front on offense and defensive lines. Uh, they do have to replace some key guys on defense, but real important is on offense that Max Duggan is entering his third year as a starter, and I think that's the first time they've had a three-year guy quarterback since 2017. So there's there's kind of a, a, a smirk about Coach Patterson right now. Usually when he knows he's got something good and a lot of people aren't talking about it, he's got that smirk about him. And it's kind of like that right now. He They're predicted fifth in the Big 12, and I think that's right where he wants them to be right now. I think they're going to surprise some people. How far do you think this team is from Iowa State? Because when I think of Big 12 dark horses right now for a team that everybody's assuming it's going to be Oklahoma-Iowa State in the Big 12 title, if Iowa State doesn't make it, to me, TCU seems like the logical conclusion there. How far off do you think they are from where maybe we view the Cyclones in the preseason? I think it's really close, and I really love what Matt Campbell's done up there at Iowa State. He kind of, it kind of reminds me of the, the way Gary Patterson brought up TCU um, just the way he's coached up there for the Cyclones. But I've been telling a lot of people the, the the game at the end of the year when TCU has to travel to Ames, I really and truly think that that game is going to have Big 12 title implications on the line. I think whoever wins that game is going to go to the Big 12 title game and, and face Oklahoma. So I think they're pretty close. Like I said, if, if Max can play really well this year, if he improves his accuracy a little bit, he improved – from his freshman to sophomore season, and I think it's really going to help him this year because he got to go through an off season last year. They didn't have spring ball because of COVID, and of course, everyone remembers the uh, the heart condition he had last year, which forced him to miss the entirety of fall camp. So now he's had a, a full off season, went through spring ball, went through summer, went through off season, and, and is obviously going through fall camp right now. So I think that's going to help him tremendously. Experienced offensive line that they have a, a lot of uh, guys coming back. Obina Eze from uh, Memphis is a really big offensive lineman, 6'8", 330 pounds, transfer from Memphis. They have really high expectations for. But I think if the offense, you look at last year, they, they led the Big 12 in rushing yards. But I think if they can get some passing yards and kind of help uh, out their running game a little bit, if, if they can make defenses more honest. And, and really, they have some guys on offense that could take the top off of those defenses vertically and if they can just get some more points on the board, I mean, we hear it every year. If we score more points, we'll win. But truly and honestly, if they can just improve by maybe one score a game, you're talking about a team that could go from anywhere from six, seven wins to maybe 10, 11 wins. Defense, as long as Gary Patterson's on that sideline, they're always going to be good. They're very athletic. I've covered the team since 2005, and we went out there to an open just last Saturday, and I, and I can promise you this is – the most long and athletic team I've ever seen them fill since I've been covering the team. As far as the offense goes, Max Duggan has continually grown in his role for the team. You mentioned the running game, how good they were there, and you bring Zach Evans back. Uh, as far as the receiving core, you, you noted a couple guys who 
maybe can take the top off the defense. I, I feel like the best offenses we've seen at TCU have involved at least one of those like All-American-level receivers, whether it's been going all the way back to a guy like Jeremy Curley or Josh Doxson or Jalen Rager of recent years. Is there somebody on the roster that you think could kind of fill that role to maybe take this offense to the next level? I really do, and it's Quentin Johnston. If you look at last year, he's 6'4", 185 pounds soaking wet. Uh, as a true freshman, he did lead the Big 12 in uh, receiving yardage per reception. He had uh, 22 yards per catch, so that became the vertical threat for uh, Max. And if you look back to 2014, 2015, that's what Boykin had with Josh. He would get in trouble, throw the ball up, and throw a 50-50 ball, and Josh would come down with it. And that's kind of how, toward the end of the season, when you look at what Quentin put up, he had over 100 yards against Oklahoma State over 100 yards Louisiana against Louisiana Tech. And so that was kind of a foundation to build upon this year. I think he's going to be a vertical threat. He's not uh, necessarily your 4-3, your 4-4 four, four top guy, but he is a guy that can get downfield and, and just go up and get those jump balls. But Mikael Barkley is another guy that's really fast. Um, you got the slot receiver. Slot receiver is pretty impressive to me right now. You've got a guy like Tay Barber who seems like he's been at TCU for 10 years now. He's a four-year starter at slot. They've got J.D. Spielman, which was a, a great producer at Nebraska last year. He battled an injury and missed most of the season, but he came back for the what they call the super senior season. They took advantage of uh, the COVID year, and, and he's come back, and they're expecting him to be uh, uh, pretty good in the offense this season. And Darius Davis, Darius Davis isn't – he, he kind of reminds me for TCU fans that remember Kevontae Turpin. Darius is a, is a similar build to Kevontae. He's the 5'9", 165-pound type, but he is a guy that has really good speed, and, and, and Gary talked about him the other day. He's a guy that can run the vertical from the slot, or they might put him outside and see if he can beat a DB. He, he does have really good speed, and everyone kind of saw him last year against on the state that went over uh, the Cowboys when they were ranked number 15 in the country. Davis had, I believe, 130-something yards receiving, so he's he's got some talent on offense to use, uh, Max does, to, to get the ball, spread it around, and there's a few guys right now that People are talking around the program that are that are kind of under the radar right now, but they expect them to do big things. Like I said earlier, this is this is a very long and athletic team, and that receiver they've got, I believe, five or six guys that are six three or six four uh, on their roster. So they've got definitely some some length, and they've definitely got some speed to throw to right now. Talking with Jeremy Clark here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk as we preview along TCU. So overall, positionally on the team, what would you say is the biggest strength headed into the season, and what is maybe the biggest question mark right now? I would say the biggest strength right now is on defense at defensive tackle. Um, when you look at their roster, they've got eight guys that have game experience, and I don't think I've ever seen their roster that deep at that particular position. And, and the good thing about being so deep at that position is they get to rotate those guys in and out as frequently as they need to. And if you look at Gary Patterson defense, that four-two-five defense, a lot of that relies on man coverage um, and, and getting to the quarterback. Well, typically when they've had good defensive tackle play, that's helped the rest of the defense. And so I think that spot in the middle on the defensive line is going to help out the rest of the defense is going to overcome the losses that they had with Garrett Wallow at linebacker and obviously Trey Merrick and Ardarius Washington at safety. Having to replace those guys, it's a little bit easier. It's not it's not going to be fully done. It's, it's tough to replace those those caliber of players, but when you have a strong defensive line, that's going to help. And, and right now, question mark-wise, that's a tough one because they, they've done a really good job recruiting. They've, they've built the – 
roster two and three deep at some spots. But I would say if there's a, if there's a question mark I have, it's an offense. And it's not necessarily as the starter. I think Max Duggan's going to have a good year. But if he goes down, there's several question marks right there. You have Matthew Downing, who was the backup last year, but didn't really show us a whole lot. You have Chandler Morris, who transferred in from Oklahoma, kind of struggled during the spring. Those those two guys are battling them out right now for the backup behind Duggan. But if you look at last year and, and no one really thought that they were going to be missing Max, and all of a sudden you hear, wow, he might not ever, ever play football again. He didn't play the first half against Iowa State. You you have to have those concerns. And so right now I think the backup quarterback position is something that I'm really looking closely at. TCU beat KU each of the last two years, 51-14 and 59-23. But prior to that, it was quite the series. KU won on the butt fumble game. You had some other close games. The one that comes to mind, the Trayvon Boykin year where TCU was a top-five team and KU almost pulled off an upset. So had been a close series until the last couple of games. Is there anything that sticks out to you from this game, whether it was from the, the game a season ago, whether it is just from the series in general? Oh, man. You know, Kansas is, is always, like you said, they've always given TCU a tough time for whatever reason. There are some games where TCU put it all together and, and they won in dominating fashion. But I was there in the press box in Lawrence when Boykin threw that interception and Jayhawk fans are going crazy. And then all of a sudden they figure out, hey, there's 12 guys on defense. And so that really, that really <laughs> saved them in that game. Um, and Chris Hackett had a really good game to safety for TCU uh, against the Jayhawks. He, he kind of helped out the defense. But. You know, I, I respect the, the, the job Kansas does. It seems like they've, they've always gotten up for the game against TCU. And uh, whatever reason, I know TCU, whether it's just them being Kansas and everyone thinks they're their they're, they're bottom team of the conference, they take them lightly. I, I'm not sure, but I know Gary Patterson says they, they can't take them lightly. And if you even look at last year, it, it was a lopsided score, but there were some times where Kansas was just moving the ball up and down the field um, through the air. And it's one of those it's one of those things that makes you raise your eyebrows a little bit and think, hey, you know, a couple more plays here and there, this game could be a lot closer. But it's going to be fun. I think uh, Kansas obviously brings a lot of passion uh, when they come to Fort Worth, and I've been part of those games where it's been really close, and you're kind of thinking, man, is is TCU a, a good or bad team? And they may play Kansas close, and next week they may blow out a pretty good team by three or four touchdowns. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what we see in Fort Worth this year. He is Jeremy Clark. You can check out all his work at Horned Frog Blitz on 24-7 Sports. Jeremy, thank you so much for the time, and uh, maybe talk to you down the road as KU gets ready to take on TCU the week of November 20th. Hey, thanks so much. All right, there's Jeremy Clark, Horned Frog Blitz on 24-7 Sports. I'm Derek Johnson. That finishes up our season previews for all of KU football's opponents. It's kind of sad. No more to go from here. Who knows? Maybe we'll get another team on the ledger. A bowl team. We're just gonna we're gonna talk to every single team across the country just in case Kansas plays them in a bowl game. But in all honesty, we will actually be getting to our KU football positional previews. We'll spend a day on each position starting next week. So looking forward to that. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk right here on FM 1017, 1320, KLWN, the KLWN app, KLWN.com. Depend on it.